We're going to be back in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be in Proverbs 8 this morning, so why don't you turn there. If you have a blue Bible that we provide for you, it's on page 532. You know, just like uh, last time, this morning, we're going to do the entire chapter. We're going to do the entire chapter, all 36 verses we're going to look at this morning. You ready for that? Maybe I should have sent out a, a heads up so you could have had your quadruple shot, latte, mocha, espresso, drink, whatever. Spirit of God is sufficient to prepare your mind and heart to receive his word. So this may seem like a lot of content to take in. You're looking at it, you're like, that's uh, all right, two columns in my Bible, what about you? A lot of content here to take in in one sitting, but as we work our way through the passage, you're going to... You're going to realize that this chapter is, in a, it's in a sense, a review and expansion of, of what Solomon has already communicated to us. We're in chapter 8. We're making progress, aren't we? And really, we're, so we're going to see things resurface here in, in, as a review and expansion, and particularly the things that we saw in the first three chapters of Proverbs. And so when you get to chapter 8, you know, it's good to go back and just remember what you have learned, what, what Solomon has been instructing us in, and what he has communicated to his son and, and God through his spirit communicated to us as a way to prepare us for understanding this passage. So in chapter 8, we're not going to deal with an entirely new subject, with new concepts this morning, but rather we're going to see a uniquely crafted presentation of wisdom that will, first of all, reinforce what we've learned so far, and second of all, drive us to diligently seek and embrace God's wisdom for our lives. That's kind of the the drum that is constantly being struck throughout the book of Proverbs. That's the application. The whole point is to drive you to diligently seek and embrace God's wisdom for your life. So in this chapter, we'll see that wisdom is personified. Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. And she speaks to us and gives us a description of herself. And if I could put a a title over this right in here, if I had my own Bible and could put little subtitles in, here's what I'd put over this chapter. It would be Wisdom's Resume. Wisdom's Resume. Not because it follows the exact format of what we would find in resumes today, but because it is essentially... Wisdom giving us a streamlined description of herself with the goal that we would then seek her out an employer. You see that? Does that make sense? She's giving us a streamlined description of herself with the goal that we would then seek her out and employ her services for our lives. Verses 4 through 11 make up her cover letter. She describes her qualities and skills in verses 12 through 21 and her history and experience in verses 22 to 31. And she finishes with a personal guarantee as a final appeal in verses 32 to 36. Now, verses 1 through 3 serve as a brief introduction. And keep in mind that up to this point, Solomon has he's warned us of the folly, the foolishness, of greed, of maliciousness, of financial carelessness, of laziness, and over and over again, the folly of sexual sin and adultery, which he addressed for the third time right before this 
in chapter 7. And there in chapter 7, he concluded with the point that countless people have fallen. Countless people have fallen. Living apart from God's wisdom and following the ways of the world and the sinful desires of one's heart is crippling. It's corrupting. It's destructive and deadly. And yet people that continue to live this way. There's destructive consequences, and yet people time and time again continue to embrace folly instead of God's wisdom. They employ folly and bring themselves to ruin. That's a bad hire. It's a bad hire. So this sets the tone. The, the closing of, of chapter 7, this, this statement that many a victim have been laid low, really sets the tone for the opening of chapter 8. There's a sense of urgency. Again, these aren't just like dry lectures. Son, let me tell you about wisdom. You know, he's pleading with him because he cares for him, his well-being. And what is best for his son? What is best for you? That you would receive and embrace the wisdom of God and apply it to your life. So, starting in verse 1, with this tone, with this sense of urgency, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. You see, wisdom is is pictured here as going out of her way to try to reach as many people as she can. She's not hidden herself so that she cannot be found. She's not somewhere where she's even difficult to be found. She has made herself accessible to everyone. She's made herself accessible, by the way, and we're speaking figuratively of wisdom, but we're speaking of the wisdom of God's Word. We have God's Word in our possession. She's accessible to us. She's written down, distributed, and communicated in the Word of God. She's not only available to a select few, but she's reaching out to everyone, as can be seen by whom she addresses in verse 4. What does she say? To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man, literally the sons of Adam. You're a son of Adam. You're a daughter of Adam, and wisdom's calling out to you. Wisdom is reaching out to all people. She's sending out her resume to everyone. She's sending her resume to you this morning. We're going to read it. In verses 4 through 11, we have her cover letter, which she uses to grab our attention by confidently explaining what she's about and what she has to offer. So let's take a look. Look at verse 4, starting in verse 4, verses 4 through 11. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom, yours truly, 
is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You see, wisdom wants to win us over. The wisdom of God wants to win us over. She wants us to listen to what she has to say and to take her instruction. And she tells us why we should in verses 6-9. through She gives us incentive. In these verses, she describes the quality of her speech, the content of her instruction. Look at these words, the way she describes her words. Noble, right, true, righteous, not twisted or crooked, but straight. Her point is that everything that she says is always true and right. She utters truth. All of her words are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. This should compel us to listen to her. Because her instruction is 100% trustworthy and 100% reliable. There's no deception. There's no deficiency in what she says. She speaks truth. Notice in verse 9 that those who have received wisdom affirm her claims. You look at verse 9. They are all straight. Her words are all straight to him who understands. They are right to those who find knowledge. Hey, the ones who have received wisdom affirm that what she's saying is true. Yes, they affirm that everything she says is right. So the call here is to taste and see that the Lord's wisdom is indeed good. Now we need to be aware that sin, if we let it, will cause us to resist God's wisdom for our lives, will it not? Sin will cause us to perceive God's wisdom to be irrelevant or impractical or inapplicable or unhelpful or even wrong. However, when we start embracing God's wisdom, we'll see that it's just the opposite. It's good, and that is exactly what we need. So the quality of wisdom's instruction makes it more valuable than choice gold and silver. God's wisdom will benefit your life much more than money ever could. We've seen this before in Proverbs, this claim. It is more valuable than wealth, material wealth, because it can benefit your life much more than money ever could. Money can be used to buy a lot of stuff, right? A lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff. Having a lot of money would enable you to purchase things that are very valuable, precious jewels or entertainment systems. I don't care. What kind of stuff can you buy with money that's considered to have value? But Solomon is saying that wisdom's far greater. Look at verse 11. All that you may desire cannot compare with her. And this verse literally says, all desirable things cannot compare with her. Even if you combine all of the delightful, precious, desirable, material things that can be found in the world, together, combined, they cannot compare with the wisdom of God. Material things cannot guide you in the truth. Material things cannot lead you in the way of righteousness. Do you ever ask your 
flat screen TV to do that. You guide me in the truth, lead me away. I mean, you're cool looking. I enjoy you. But is it going to guide you in the truth and lead you in the way of righteousness? No, it's useless in that sense, and therefore what? The wisdom of God, far more valuable. Money can't buy wisdom. I mean, hey, there's nothing wrong with having some success, you know, and, and uh, making a profit, saving up, having wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something wrong when you think that that's going to somehow make you more successful in life, or happy. Money can't buy wisdom. You need wisdom. Money can't buy true knowledge, can it? Money can't buy moral guidance, can it? Money can't buy a life that honors the Lord. Buy a lot of stuff, but it can't buy a life that honors God. So wisdom is far better. Far more valuable. And then in verses 12 through 21, we see wisdom's qualities and skills and the ways in which she will benefit you if you employ her. If you give her that call back and you employ her services for your life, here are qualities and skills. Verse 12 through 14, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. I mean, these things are with me, found in me. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insights. I have strength. In wisdom, we find all of these qualities. Prudence. There's thoughtfulness. Careful consideration. It's, it's giving thought to one's steps and exercising caution in life. Discretion is the ability to think things through, particularly the potential consequences that certain actions might have. You're thinking through potential consequences so that you might do what's best. That's discretion. Counsel is guidance. It's direction. By the way, when we have problems in life and we say, I need wisdom, I need the wisdom of God, I need help, you know, you, you reach out to brother, sister of Christ, you reach out to your pastor, pastor, I need help. And a lot of times when people say they need help, I got problems, my life's a mess. You know what they're really looking for? Is they're looking for therapy. What's the difference between therapy and counsel? Therapy is like, just, I, I need to unload, I need, just to, I need just to vent and tell you how I feel, and I just need to just kind of nod your head and then just tell me it'll be okay and make me feel good. But I want you to tell me what to do. Don't you do that. Counsel. Biblical counsel is what we need. We need we need correction. We need a lot of times rebuke. Biblical rebuke, biblical counsel. Wisdom says I have counsel, guidance and direction. We need that. Sound wisdom. Sound wisdom is basically insight that enables you to effectively deal with problems as they arise in your life. So that you have practical success. You could say maybe a, a way to understand sound wisdom is it's effective insight. It's insight that gives you success because it helps you effectively deal with your problems. And then we have this word insight, and that really could be understood as discernment. It's the ability to perceive the true nature of things, to distinguish between right and wrong, to distinguish between good and bad, 
beneficial and harmful, valuable and worthless. That's discernment, insight. Wisdom says, I have all these qualities to give. Finally, wisdom says, I have strength. I have strength. Kind of stands apart from the other ones. The other ones seem to be, you know, mental qualities, qualities of the mind, and yet wisdom says, I have strength. Maybe you've heard this statement, though, knowledge is power, right? It is, isn't it? Solomon says later in Proverbs, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Strength, ability. Now notice verse 13. What wisdom places right at the center of all these qualities is what? The fear of the Lord. It's right in the center. It's a way of emphasizing this point, putting it right at the center. It's the fear of the Lord, which is the attitude by which one rightly recognizes God's greatness and power and excellence and holiness and authority. Yes. And as a result, submits to God and turns from evil. That's the fear of the Lord. Right acknowledgement of God as who He is, sovereign one, and responding in humble submission to Him, turning from evil. Wisdom hates what God hates. That's what she's making that point here. She says, Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And guess what? I hate these things. Wisdom's aligning herself with God. She hates what God hates. Wisdom services then, and we see in this verse here that they are not just related to the head. This isn't about just, you know, getting smarter. You need to get a little smarter, figure stuff out in life. I heard there's some wisdom on like money and stuff. I'm going to read that. Well, wisdom is not just about getting smarter. She is not just concerned with the head, she's also concerned with your heart, with your affections. She offers us right moral guidance. The benefit of this is seen in verses 15 to 16. Look there. 15. By me, so she just said, I have strength. And then she goes on to say, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Those in the the highest positions of power and authority, they need wisdom to do what is just. They need wisdom to do what is right in their position so that they might be successful in maintaining stability and order in society. The success is not just a blessing to them, but to those who are under their rule and influence. So a leader, a ruler who rules in wisdom is not just benefiting himself, but all the people who are under his jurisdiction under his rule and influence. And in a similar way, and we know that this isn't just an offer. Wisdom is not just saying, uh, I'm offering myself the kings because you guys need me, but everybody else, I mean, if you want. Wisdom says, my cries to you, the sons of men, right? So it's not exclusive to those in positions of power and authority. But guess what? In a similar way, we do have spheres of influence. And some of us have been given authority over other people. Parents over children. 
Husbands over wives, employers over employees, government officials over citizens. So in a similar way, we can all relate to this, we need wisdom to govern our own affairs. To govern them justly and to do what is right so that we might be successful according to God's standards. Walking in wisdom involves upholding and exemplifying and promoting what is right according to God's righteous standards, which not only benefit us, but benefit others as well. Guess what? When you embrace God's wisdom, when you say, yes, I'm reading this, this is the wisdom of God, I'm going to trust it, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to walk in it, that is not just going to benefit you, it is going to benefit those around you, those in your home, those in your workplace, those in your neighborhood, Really anywhere, the people you come in contact with, there is blessing that spills over into the lives of others when we embrace God's wisdom. And as we can see with that statement about kings and rulers, it, it's beneficial to society. Oh, what a wonderful place it would be if, if all the people in our neighborhood walked according to godly wisdom. Oh, what a wonderful place this country would be if everyone led and ruled in the government with wisdom of God. Oh, what a wonderful place my home, much better than it is now because of sin. How much better would it be if I'm walking in God's wisdom? Wisdom goes on to say, look at verse 17 and following. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Implying that what? You're being called to what? You're being called to give your affection to wisdom. And a diligently seeker, that means it takes work. It takes work. Remember, wisdom doesn't come to us just by, you know, passively sitting around and waiting for God to just infuse it because, hey, God, I asked you for wisdom. Didn't you say pray and you're just going to like infuse it into me? No, he's like, yeah, I gave you my wisdom. You can ask. I'm going to help you understand, apply, internalize my wisdom in my word. Wisdom says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Wisdom has... Material wealth and honor to author. Yes, it's true. Applying God's wisdom to your life has material benefits. That is true. If wisdom is guided, I mean, if you think about it, again, this isn't, this isn't health, wealth, prosperity stuff. You know, sometimes we kind of freak out too much. You're like, he's talking about like wealth and stuff. That God's going to like bless us materially. Well, no, I mean... There's, there's material benefit to applying God's wisdom in your life. If, if wisdom is guiding your work ethic, if godly wisdom is guiding your business practices, your view and handling of money, if wisdom is guiding your goals and decisions, you will, generally speaking, be well off, won't you? Better than if you were without God's wisdom you will certainly be better off than if you were living foolishly. Now keep in mind that the material blessing spoken of in these verses 
is not for those who love money, but for those who love wisdom. Verse 17, I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently find me. They're seeking her diligently because they love her. Verse 21, granting an inheritance to those who love me. So again, the Bible's not just a uh, kind of a, a guide to kind of just you know, satisfy my own desire to have more stuff or to have more material success or whatever, although it offers blessing in walking in the way of wisdom, but it's not, you know, there's a, a blessing of material wealth that might be a spillover benefit, but it's not the goal. Goal's a righteous life. Goal's a life that honors the Lord. So wisdom does have material blessing to offer. And as we read back in chapter 1, those who... Again, we've got to guard ourselves against the love of money. Those who love money, ultimately, they're going to pursue unjust gain because that, that's what they value the most. I want to, I want to obtain. I want to, I want to have more material success. I want to have more than the next guy. So they're going to be willing to pursue unjust gain, cut corners, and even do evil things to acquire more for themselves. And in chapter 1, we saw that whatever gain they get, that's not going to last. It's not going to last and eventually ruin them. Unjust gain takes a life of its possessors. However, those who love wisdom will pursue wisdom, and wisdom in turn will bless them with wealth. What kind of wealth? What does she say? It's enduring wealth, lasting wealth. So keep that in mind whenever you see someone who's, who rejects the Lord rejects his wisdom and seems to have like some material success and, and a lot of blessing. Keep in mind that that's just a facade. That won't last. That'll all perish. You pursue God's wisdom. You pursue the Lord. You walk in his wisdom. Uh, the blessing and the benefit of that will be enduring. What's even greater, though, I'll say it again, what's even greater, though, is that wisdom has righteousness to offer righteousness that is she will lead you in the way of righteousness this is the fruit that's better than fine gold this is the yield that is better than choice silver wisdom will lead you in the way of righteousness proverbs 15:16 says better is a little with the fear of the lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little, again materially, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And so as we get through these passages, and they're talking about the blessing that wisdom brings, and yes, even material blessing, we consider everything that Proverbs says about wealth, and that balances it out. Because sometimes we might have less, and Proverbs is saying, guess what? Better to have a little with the fear of the Lord. You keep walking in wisdom. You are far better off than if you had great treasure and were not walking in wisdom. There's no blessing in riches apart from righteousness. There's no blessing in riches apart from righteousness. And wisdom says she has both to offer. But her emphasis is on righteousness. Right living in the eyes of God. 
and her emphasis on righteousness shows that righteousness is of far greater value and thus is the greater gift. Again, if you go and read through what we've read so far in chapter 8, that is the thing she continues to emphasize in each of these sections. Righteousness. So we've seen the highlights of wisdom's qualities and skills, and now in verses 22 through 31, we're going to see your history and experience. History and experience. Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Hey, you look outside, you look at those mountains. Before it all, timeless, enduring. Hey, before all that, wisdom was brought forth. Before the Lord had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above. Now notice she's changed. She said, before all these things, I was there. I was there in the beginning. Before all these things that you see in the world, I preceded all of them. And then in verse 27, we see now the work of creation, God's actual work of creation. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made from the skies above, this all took place on the second day of creation. And just as a a way to kind of undergird what we're seeing here, in Genesis 1, the second day is, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. You may be wondering then here in Proverbs 8, what does it mean that he drew a circle on the face of the deep? This most likely refers to the creation of the horizon, which would have appeared when God created that expanse between the waters when he created the heavens. Job, in the book of Job, says of God that he has inscribed a a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. So this is all just referring to the creation week, when God made the world. Continuing on in verse 28, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. She's saying, I was there through it all. And what she said right here in verse 29, it took place on the third day of creation, which back in Genesis, it says that God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now back in in Proverbs here, starting in verse 27, uh, notice the actions of God that wisdom is mentioning here. Verse 27, He established. He drew a circle. Verse 28, He made firm. 
He established. Verse 29, he assigned limits. He marked out boundaries. All of these gave the world what? Stability and order. Stability and order. And then wisdom concludes in verses 30 through 31. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabitable, inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now here's the thing to, to understand with this passage. Although it's, it's filled with all this creation imagery, its main point is not to give us an account of how God created the world. That's not what it's trying to accomplish. God's given us the historic account of how he created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, has he not? We have the historic account. This passage poetically alludes to that historic account in order to make the point, really the simple point, that wisdom existed before God created the world and was present as God created the world. Wisdom is saying, in other words, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm not young and inexperienced. I've been around for ages. In fact, God brought me forth before He created the world, and I was with Him through the whole process. So what does that give wisdom? Authority in what she said. Wait to what she is saying. One commentator puts it this way, more than wisdom of years is communicated here. Wisdom's presence at creation suggests that she knows how the world was put together and therefore knows how it works. So you need her. If we also recall what Solomon said back in chapter 3, because again, we've kind of seen, briefly seen, Similar statements earlier in Proverbs, back in chapter 3. Here's what Solomon said there. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. So if we recall that statement, then we will know that wisdom's experience was not just that of being a passive observer, but of being also an active participant. She was the instrument by which God created everything. She was an instrument in his hands. God used wisdom to establish order. He used wisdom to create stability. He used wisdom to set firm boundaries, all for the purpose of making the world a habitable place, a place where life can thrive. Notice in verse 31 that the life that wisdom is specifically focused on is that of mankind. Now, with regard to verse 30, briefly, I would just say to, to keep it short that I believe the NIV translation is probably best here. Because again, there's, you know, when you're looking at Hebrew, like, well, this word actually could be this, and it means this, and you know, there's some debates as to what the best translation would be. And I just think more consistently with, and again, there's evidence on both sides, but the one that kind of fits the context probably the best is the way the NIV translates verse 30, which is this. Wisdom saying, I was there before all things. I was there through this whole creation process. Then I was, I was constantly at his side. 
I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. And then back to the ESV, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So we see that wisdom was rejoicing and delighting in all of God's creative work, but especially in what? In man, whom God made in his own image according to his own likeness. Wisdom speaks not only as the observer of his creation of man, but as the active participant in this work. And she's not only, she not only took tremendous delight in the outcome of God's perfect creative work, but also in being employed by God. Because again, it was by wisdom that God created the world. And I would say that her delight was not just in seeing everything, the outcome of everything, but also the process being used by God through it all. She delighted in being used by him to do this creative work. And she also delighted in men, we see. And I would say because they, being made in the image of God, you, being made in the image of God, have the capacity to employ her as well. We were meant to live according to God's wisdom. We were built for it. We were meant to apply her to our lives so that we might, we might not only have moral order and stability, but also that we might share in wisdom's joy and rejoice before the Lord. That's how life is supposed to be lived. This is really an invitation to share in the wisdom or in the joy of wisdom. But we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, don't we? It's not all as it's meant to be. In fact, it is very wrong. We live in a world that's fallen and corrupted by sin because our first parents foolishly rebelled against God. We live in a world in which sin deceives us into thinking that we are wise on our own and can live without God's wisdom. I got it. I have understanding. It grows up in here. I have its inherent. I think I've got it figured out, or I think my way is a little better. Sin deceives us into thinking that not having the moral restraints of God's wisdom will bring us moral or will bring us more happiness and more joy and more pleasure and more success. Sin's making us think that wisdom's just a burden. Get that out of here. It'd be more successful, it'd be more happy with me. However, the truth is that not living according to God's wisdom will result in what? Disorder, instability, lawlessness, ruin, and death. Sin kills and destroys. So wisdom concludes with this final appeal. Verse 32 through 36. Here's the final appeal. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. 
So wisdom wants us to employ her so that we would find life in the truest sense. That is, a life that's in right relationship with the Lord, a life that is obtaining His favor, a life that is blessed. Wisdom confidently guarantees that if we eagerly listen to her and apply her instruction, we will be blessed. You know what it means to be blessed? To be blessed means to be in a state of true happiness. The person who is called blessed in the Bible is the person who is experiencing life in the best way possible. In in the way that is most desirable according to God's standards, not the world's. Experiencing life to the fullest as it's meant to be. It's a state of true happiness. Embracing God's wisdom for your life then will bring you true and lasting happiness. That's the message. That's the confident guarantee. Do you want true and lasting happiness? Of course you do. Of course you do. Perhaps a better question to ask you is, do you believe that God's wisdom will get you there? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's wisdom will always bring you happiness? Really? 100% of the time? Do you believe that God's wisdom will bring you true happiness in every area of your life? Not just finances. Not just self-control or working on anger. Yeah, what does wisdom say about anger? I just got to work on that. Do you believe that God's wisdom will result in happiness all the time in every area of your life? Remember that regardless of what you're thinking or feeling in the moment, because we, we always reach that crossroads, every one of us. We're gonna get, we hit that crossroads. We have that point of decision. God's wisdom or what I feel. God's wisdom or... Huh, what my heart's telling me. We always reach that, reach that point of decision. And we have to remember that in that moment, in those moments, every time, whatever we're thinking or feeling, wisdom word, we have to remember that wisdom's words are always true and her ways are always right. So you can recall, God's wisdom here is true. God's wisdom is right here. Regardless of what I'm thinking or feeling, I need to choose wisdom. So you've seen the resume. It's submitted. Each one of you got it in your inbox now. She will lead you in the way of righteousness. She will benefit your life tremendously. Nothing you desire can compare with her. So seek her out in God's Word. Employ her in your life. Listen to her. Keep her ways. That's what she's calling you to do. Take her instruction and do not neglect it. Scripture says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we're told to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. He is our wisdom. His Word is wisdom to us. That's our application, to take that instruction, to live by it, to not neglect it. And 
really to trust it, to take her at her word. This is truth. This is true. All her ways are right. Everything she says is true. Everything the Word of God says for me is sufficient. It is the best thing for me possible. Therefore, I need to choose wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your wisdom. We can all rejoice in the fact that you, you, you did not leave us in, in our helpless state, Lord, enslaved to sin and walking in complete darkness. Our, our minds were, before you saved us, Lord, our minds were darkened. We had no understanding. We, we thought we were wise. We, we thought we were wise in our own eyes and um, that we knew how to live our lives the best way possible, Lord, and you, you opened our eyes. You saved us. You called us out of that miserable, wretched state and showed us true wisdom in the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ, and and in his, in his teaching, in His ways, in His example, Lord. We pray that all of us here, we as a church, every one of us individually, would continue to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would follow in His steps. Father, I pray for those who are here that do not have a saving relationship with You. I pray for them they're failing to find wisdom because they're failing to find you. And I pray that they would come to fear you, Lord. That they would acknowledge your infinite greatness and holiness and righteousness and your absolute power and authority over all things, and including their own lives. I pray that they would realize that because of their sin, they deserve only your eternal condemnation and wrath. And the direction they are going will only result in their own ruin and their eternal destruction. Father, grant them repentance so that they would turn from evil and forsake their life of sin. Pour out your grace on them so they would turn in faith to your Son, Jesus Christ, and trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins so that they would have everlasting life in His name. And yes, Lord, wisdom, wisdom, that they might live their lives as you intended them to, in a way that honors you, Lord. We pray for all of us that we would continually remember and recall the things you have told us to do, the guidance and counsel you've given us in your word, your commands. They're all righteous and true. Father, help us to trust and obey them to walk in the way of wisdom and to not live according to our own desires and follow our own heart, Lord, but to have our heart, our heart and our thinking, our minds conformed to your word, conformed to your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.